You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. My name is Evan. I'm one of the senior pastors here, and I want to share some good news. Michael Buble has been dethroned as the go-to Christmas music in my house this year. It's good news. Now, you're not sure what you feel, but but some of you who have not moved off of Michael Buble by about December 20th, you're going to be regretting that decision. I'll tell you what. Uh, we replaced uh, Michael, sorry, Michael, uh, with a young man by the name of Leslie Odom Jr. Any fans? It's good. It's good. Some of you don't know yet, but you're going to go home, talk to your little smart speaker, ask for his music, Christmas, and you're going to love it. So uh, we are headed into the holidays, and uh, I, I love the holidays. I love what uh, this week represents as we're gathering to be grateful and thankful, as Pastor Mike shared. And one of the conversations we had in the hallways this week was about some of our favorite holiday traditions, holiday traditions that we share in our own families, maybe growing up or even now. And uh, one that, that uh, resonated with me as a kid who grew up in the 90s, I think uh, Pastor Suzanne shared that they watch Home Alone every Christmas as part of their traditions. Any fans of the movie Home Alone? Yeah, okay, all right. Um, yeah, classic film. It was such a success, such a hit, and they weren't expecting it to be such a hit that they kept making them. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. No, maybe not. Uh, they should have stopped there. They made a Home Alone 3 and a Home Alone 4. Did anyone see Home Alone 4 taking back the house? You probably would have had to watch it like on direct to VHS. I don't think it ever came out in the theaters or on, you know, the Disney Channel, um, you know, in the middle of the night or something. It was that bad. Now, which do you think is better? Home Alone 1, the, the classic sleeper hit, or Home Alone 4 taking back the house? Just take a guess. Home Alone 1. Now, would it change your mind if I told you that Home Alone 4 is actually a documentary based on a true story? No, it wouldn't change your mind at all. Why? Because the movie's a terrible movie. It's, 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 it's a, a shameless cash grab by the Walt Disney Company. It's a bad movie. So whether it's true or not is secondary to what? The fact that it's garbage. And what I want to talk to you today about is this idea, or this question really, is Christianity good? Now, when I grew up, uh, in Sunday school and church, a lot of times the focus was on the question, is Christianity true? And that's a good question. The focus was so singularly on that, uh, the, uh, uh, that question of, of the truth of Christianity, I think maybe we didn't ever get to the question, is Christianity good? And what I've seen these days, as, as many have walked away from their faith, they're walking away not because they believe something about the truth of Christianity one way or the other, they're not even getting to that question because they are making a decision based on the question, is Christianity good for humanity? And coming to the conclusion that no, it's not. That this Jesus thing, this maybe religion as a whole, is actually bad for the world. And so we, uh, we ought to maybe move off the focus of just is Christianity true and start with the question, is it really good? Because when we talk about more people, new people coming to know Jesus and following after him, I believe this, that people will hope it's true if they know it's good first. People are going to hope it's true. Um, do you know this about bad news? 
if it's personal, if you hear some bad news, what do you hope? You hope it's not true. You hope against hope that maybe, that maybe they got their details wrong. But man, when it's good news, you hope, yeah. You're telling me I won the lottery? Oh man, I hope that's true. And so we're going to look at the, the nature of good news and, and kind of dive into this idea. Is Christianity, is the way of Jesus, is what Jesus instituted really good? And we're going to uh, look at a story of um, some heroes. We've been talking about different heroes in the Bible, maybe minor characters people we're not quite as familiar with, uh, who reveal something about the nature of God. And, and today's story comes to us from 2 Kings, way in the back of the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. And I was looking for a story uh, that would show people who were in desperate need of some good news. Desperate need of some good news. Maybe you're in that category today. You're in desperate need of some good news. I found this story in 2 Kings chapter 6 um, in the ancient city of Samaria. And uh, there was a famine in the land, so food was scarce already. And then the, the Arameans came and decided to besiege the city. They surrounded it. They cut off all supply lines. And they were literally starving the city out. It was so bleak and so dark that uh, the people in the city of Samaria were turning to things like cannibalism just to survive. Yikes. So maybe you're thinking, yeah, my life's rough. It's not that rough. I hope. <laughs> Do we need to check? <laughs> So 2 Kings chapter 7, this is in the center of uh, the city, um, and, and the, the picture is bleak. They're surrounded by enemies. They can't get any food, and we pick up the story, 2 Kings 7, verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with a famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, nobody was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. And the king of Israel had hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked. And they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. And when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news. <laughs> Sorry. The enthusiasm with which you said good news was a little low, I'll be honest. <laughs> hey, any, any news? What, what kind of news do you have? I have good news. That's, yeah, that's your West Side Church for you. <laughs> this is a day of? And we aren't sharing it with anybody. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. So come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they're not all that considerate. They're a little bit considerate, right? A little bit courageous, not really. They thought they were going to die anyway. Um, they go and share the good news with the city, not because they're really considerate, just a little bit. They're kind of concerned for themselves. But they do go back. They went back to the city and they told the gatekeepers what had happened. And in doing so, the city is saved, not because of the heroics of these four men, but because of the information, the message that these four carried. Good news of salvation for the city. Um, 
you know, these heroes uh, this week are um, not even named. And in their society, they were like below the lowest rung because of their condition, their leprosy. It made them completely untouchable. So they're cast out of the community. It says they're, they're hanging out by the gates, uh, which probably likely would have been the only place they would have been allowed anywhere near the city because of their condition. And so they're left out here outside on the outskirts of town to die a slow and painful death. I won't get into the leprosy. Um, not pleasant, not a fast or an easy way to die. And so here they are um, really cast off and left to their own condition. And in that day, they would have been seen not only as physically uh, diseased, but also spiritually. They would have connected that physical ailment, that physical disease to a likely sin or spiritual problem that caused God to be so angry that he cursed them with this leprosy. That's how they would have been seen. It's bad news all around for these guys. And so here they are, um, unlikely heroes in the story that God is writing. And yet, he writes them in. Uh, my wife and daughter were watching, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm referencing another movie, I apologize. They were watching the movie Babe, another 90s classic, uh, about the pig, the talking pig. You know the one. Okay, well, if you don't know it, yeah, we watch movies about talking pigs. It's no big deal. But in the movie, and some of you will remember this, the old farmer looks at this little pig, and his, he famously says these words, that'll do, pig, That'll do. And I almost feel like God is, is interested in saving the city of Samaria. And he's looking around and he finds these four guys who are kind of selfish and, you know, uh, kind of gross. The leprosy and everything. And he's like, that'll do, pig. That'll do. And so he sends them, whether they know it or not, he sends them on a mission of good news. The inadequate, once again, are used by God as the key part of the story that brings salvation to the community. What made these lepers heroes, it was a little bit of courage, but more than that, it was the good news that they carried. The good news they carried. You know, before we had ways of communicating over long distances, think telegrams and phones, and now, of course, the internet. Um, receiving news, especially if you were isolated, was a big deal. Um, this was not easy to get word of what was going on in the wide world when you lived out uh, in the country. And so a lot of the ancient world, uh, especially if it was in a war-torn country, you'd be waiting for word on what was actually happening that would have to come because someone ran with the news to tell you. And so you might go months even having no idea of the situation in the wider world or the, the, the country outside of your community, and you would wait and long for news, hoping against hope that it was good news. It wasn't always good news. Sometimes the messenger would show up and say, you know, we've been conquered and they're coming. Um, think Paul Revere, you know, the British are coming. The Arameans are coming. Sometimes the news was great. There's peace in the land. The war is over, but the news was so critical. And now look at us. We are on a constant IV of drip, drip, drip information of what's going on and it's driving us bonkers. Does anybody feel that? And so uh, we know the value of news, maybe, but not like they used to. Not in that way that you would long to hear what's going on. And I think this is why Isaiah would write back in the Old Testament, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation. 
Listen, if you're caught in a civil war and you don't know who's going to come over that next hill, whether it's the good guys or the bad guys, you are longing for good news that maybe, just maybe, the war is over. And so we get back to our original question. Is Christianity is the way of Jesus? Is it really good news? Is it the news that we long for? Is it news for humanity that God actually has taken notice of us? Is it news of salvation or is it news of judgment? Is it news of hope or is it news of guilt and shame? Is it news of the pleasure of God poured out on his people he loves or is it news that he's mad at us? And he's going to take it out in due time. What is the news of the message of Jesus? You know, when I look back at the story of how Jesus operated when he walked the earth and uh, the miracles that he performed and the way he, he ministered to people, um, I have the suspicion, and maybe you'll agree, I have the suspicion that, that maybe it wasn't so much for Jesus about proving how powerful he was when he would heal somebody who was paralyzed or sick or when he would uh, raise a little girl from the dead or when he would, he would feed the, the multitudes, cast out a demon. Maybe it wasn't he was just trying to prove how powerful he was. Is it possible that what he was doing, he was trying to show off just how audacious the love and the reach of the mercy of God was? That he wouldn't come and just to heal the, the rich and the powerful and the well-connected, but he would go into the gutters of society to raise up people that everyone else had moved on from and sent away. That God was here to see the one that nobody else saw. What an audacious love of God that he was showing off. And it's in this system that, that the powerful, the religious leaders, the, the ones who, who controlled and, and, and kept the gate around who got to God by, by controlling the temple and the rituals and the sacrifices, and, and they had the system that would allow you to access heaven. Jesus comes, he says, I'm not going to wait around for people to figure out their way how to crawl and climb and claw their way to heaven. I'm going to bring heaven here now. And within himself, he instituted and ushered in a new era of humanity where God was no longer far off and, and hopefully you could get to him. But now God had come to us and he walked with us and talked with us and he sat at our tables and he ate our food and he showed us that God sees people that nobody else wants to deal with. What an audacious kind of news that Jesus brought. And probably some of the, the, the elements of this message that Jesus was preaching about this, this coming of heaven to earth and how God was invading our everyday spaces, uh, the, the hardest thing for so many religious minds to grasp was that God was going to do this for everybody. That the good news was for everybody. I, I'm getting into Christmas here again. I know it's not Christmas. I know it. But do you remember what the angel said before the birth of Jesus? He shows up. And in a field with some shepherds, and he declares, I bring you great news of good joy. Good news of great joy. Thank you. <laughs> that will be for who? All people. All people. And, and the folks that, that heard the shepherds share that in, in their Jewish community probably would have said, that's amazing hope and joy for all people. Good news for everybody except the Greeks. This is amazing. 
And the shepherds were like, no, they didn't, they didn't exclude the Greeks. I think the Greeks are included in that too. Okay, good news for everybody except the, the, the Romans. The Romans are out. Everybody else can be in, but the Romans are nasty, nasty people. Shepherds are like, no, he, didn't. he just said everybody. Okay, so the Jews are in. The Greeks are in on this. The Romans are in on this. But, but it's best news. It's better news for Americans. We know that. We know, we know that. It's a given. No. Not better news for America. Canadians are in it too, maybe. Michael Boulbet is Canadian. Maybe we should include them. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. This is good news for everybody. This is not bad news for anybody. Jews, Greeks, Romans, Americans, Canadians, Hindus, Jews. Muslims, churchgoers, and non-churchgoers, pagans, sun worshipers, Democrats, Republicans, straight, gay, atheists, religious people, non-religious people, people who started in church and walked away, people who, who, who want nothing to do with God, your enemies. It's good news for everybody. Now, wait, Evan. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. But some of those categories you just said, if they want to follow after Jesus, they're going to have to switch out of some of that behavior, change some lifestyle things, and, and uh, take on a new identity, Evan. You need to say that. Can we just sit for a second in this thought that when Jesus showed up, he preached a message that there is a God who desires and loves so deeply that every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet is not too far outside of his love and his compassion. Can we sit in that for a second? Man, we want to move on so quickly. So quickly to the, to the, to the you know, instruction list. And Jesus just sits with people. He sits with prostitutes. I'm sorry, camera people. I'm like almost out of the frame. <laughs> He sits with notorious sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. And the news he brings is not a list of what to do next. It's news that God showed up at your house because he saw you and he desired you and he loved you and his compassion wasn't so short and so small that he couldn't reach you. But do you know what my job is? Do you know how I sell myself? Do you know, do you know who I cheat when I'm doing the collection of tax? Do you know what I've been up to? And Jesus says, yeah, but heaven's come here. See, before, yeah, you had to clean all that up so that God would take notice of you. But I'm here now, and I see you. And this good news is for everybody. Everybody gets in on this. And man, the religious people just were not good with that. And I have to <laughs> acknowledge that today, the religious person in my mind struggles with it too. So Jesus, bring heaven here. Bring the, the compassion of God that would go to any length so that everybody 
man, I, you know what? I, I have trouble loving on some of my extended family members. <laughs> and we share DNA and we look similar. And I kind of think, well, I don't know. <laughs> you want to know the extent of my love and compassion? Everybody, really? Even my sworn enemies. Even those that want to cause me harm. Even those that disagree with everything that they believe I stand for. This is news that is for everybody. If the Christianity that we've experienced doesn't sound as subversive as that, if it's not as compelling maybe as this idea that God has shaken everything and putting everything on its head, maybe we need to revisit the kind of message that Jesus preached. He was so convinced in Luke 16, he said, uh, you know, uh, ever since John the Baptist, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and everybody's forcing their way into it. It's so out of the norm and so wild and so audacious and it's, it's so good. People are breaking down the doors to get into this kingdom of heaven. Maybe we need to re-examine the faith that we've known and say, Jesus, make it look more like you. Jesus wasn't waiting to see who could earn their way into heaven. He was bringing heaven to earth. And then what he does, which I wouldn't have recommended if I was consulting Jesus back in the day, is he gives all that authority, all that job that he was, he was doing so well of expressing the love of God to the world around him, he realizes that his time with us is short, and so he hands the keys and the authority and the job of bringing heaven, God's goodness, to earth. He gives it over to a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and like high school dropouts, his disciples. And there's this moment when, when Jesus knows he's heading for the cross and he turns to, to Peter, one of his most unreliable disciples, most emotional disciple. You never know, which Peter are we going to get today? I'm all in, Peter, or whoa, Jesus, I don't know if I can handle this, Peter. That's the kind of Peter that, that Jesus is walking with. And he turns to him and he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I have these nightmares about when my daughter, who's nine, turns 16. Um, and I'm going to need some help from some moms and dads who have walked this road. Imagining my, my precious daughter behind the wheel of a vehicle. My goodness. Uh, it's frightening for me. It should be more frightening for you, to be honest. But Jesus gives the keys to the future of this movement into the hands of some pretty inadequate people. And in doing so, he starts this domino effect where generation after generation, that baton of the authority to bring heaven to earth and let everybody in on this good news is handed from generation through generation until we get to today in 2021, where we sit together with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we look at ourselves sometimes, like I look at Clara, and I think, I don't know if we're ready for this. I don't know how good of a job we can do. And so today's story gives me hope because I look at four lepers who really were not qualified to save the city. But they were in the right place at the right time and the power came from the message they carried. So how can we embody this as we get closer to wrapping up today? Number one, we go beyond the gate. We go beyond the gate. We know this. We can get caught in an echo chamber, a feedback loop of our own opinions. 
uh, where we only talk to people who think what we do and believe like we do, and, and we start to think the whole world might, maybe agrees with us except for the bad people, right? And, uh, and maybe Thanksgiving represents a time where you go and you double down on your opinions with, with people that you don't see that often. Okay, maybe, maybe your family agrees with you, maybe they don't, but it can be a time where we actually get entrenched in our own opinions. These lepers, to find salvation, they had to go outside of their comfort zones, outside of their norm, outside of their, their usual places they hung out, and maybe we should too. To break out of the, the uh, echo chamber that we can find ourselves living in, to find out maybe what God is doing and, and see people in a new light. And this is what the good news does. I don't think um, uh, what we want you to do, like Pastor Mike was saying today, we don't want you to, to sit at Thanksgiving and everyone's having a good time and you're, you're talking about, you know, how the kids are doing and all these things. And then you're like, hey, can we talk about religion? <laughs> Have you heard about Jesus? You know, like, don't be weird. That's weird. But here's what the good news does for me. Um, it, it's a reminder when I remember all the things that I've received from Christ, it remembers where my hope is. And so when I get in a conversation and we're trying to double, or we're trying to, you know, out bad news each other, oh, you think that politician is bad? Wait till you hear what this guy did. Oh, you think that that coming situation is, is going to be horrible? I've got an even more horrible thing on my horizon that I want to tell you about. You know, we kind of, we kind of fight for who can have the, the worst news. You know what good news does when I remember who I am in Christ? It reminds me that where my hope is. So we can talk about politicians all day long. You know what? I'm not putting my hope in politicians. Whether I agree with them or not, my hope is not that they're going to be the ones to get us out of whatever trouble we're in. My hope isn't in the value of the dollar. My hope isn't in, uh, uh, you know, what China does or what China doesn't do. My hope isn't in uh, all the things that, that sometimes we can get lulled into a sense of, of security or fear based on. My hope isn't in any of that. My hope is that a long time ago, somebody named Jesus died on a cross, and at the very end, he said, it is finished. What's finished? The work, the work of securing my hope and my future was done by Jesus. And that gets us to number two, go beyond the gate and then share good news, not good advice. Tim Keller says, advice is counsel about something to do and it hasn't happened yet. News is a report about something that's already happened. And it's possible this is the only, uh, not the only thing, but one of the, the main things that distinguishes Christianity in the way of Jesus from any other world religion is that when we approach it and we come to Jesus and say, you know, how can I be at peace with God? How can, can I make God pleased with me? How can I get to heaven? We ask all these questions of Jesus. The thing he responds with is not a list of instructions. It's a story about something that's already been done. It's good news. So we say, what do I got to do? to get on God's good side. And Jesus said, I've already done it. I've already done it. And so we carry this kind of good news, not good advice, good news, that Jesus has done the work that we couldn't do. And finally, don't wait for perfect. Don't wait for perfect. <laughs> these, these four guys were far from perfect. They didn't wait until their you know, skin cleared up to head back into the town. They didn't wait to find out if they'd be welcomed when they, when they got to the main gate. They just knew the news was too good to wait a single moment. So in the condition they were in, they delivered the news. 
in the condition they, they were in, they became the bearers of hope for the city. We disqualify ourselves so often um, from representing good news in the world around us. Maybe we don't feel like we're educated enough. Maybe we don't feel like we're experienced enough. Maybe we don't feel like we pray enough. Fill in the blank. Why do you feel inadequate to be a carrier of the hope of Christ in the world around you? It can be easy to let insecurity creep in and keep us from being the carriers of that good news. And so many stories in the Bible are of insecure people who God shows up and he asks them to represent what he wants to do. And they say, can you send somebody else? Can you send somebody else? I mean, you know, angels can carry messages. They've done that before. Can you send like an angel, you know, with like a, a big sword and flaming eyes? That sounds better than me. And God's like, yeah, but you're here. Why don't you do it? And I think so many times what we are called to do in Christ is not to be the, the fanciest, flashiest, most well-spoken, most eloquent, most handsome, most beautiful, fill in the blank, all those things. That's fine. Yeah, other people can do that. But listen, you're here now. You're the one that sits on the, at that table in your family. You're not qualified? That's fine. Because Jesus doesn't look for qualified people. He looks for people who would willingly stand up and carry, carry the message of salvation. This is, um, this is something that is, I think, a mark of our faith, is that inadequate, unqualified people are used by the hand of God. And I'll finish up with this last scripture. Um, after Jesus had uh, left the disciples, he'd been crucified and, and resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven, and he sends out all these disciples that had been with him, these men and women who had followed him and, and, and walked with him as he, as he taught and healed and all these things. And um, the early church begins. And Peter and James and John are some of the leaders of the early church. And as they go around, they're speaking with such authority. And their message is so compelling. And, and the, the crowds are following after now James and John and Peter to the point where the, the leaders in these communities are, are looking around like, what, how is this possible? Just a few years ago, these guys were in fishing boats. And now the crowds are coming after them because of the authority with which they speak. And I love this verse in Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's where I want to end today. I don't need you um, to find a soapbox and go downtown and start preaching. Um, I, don't, I don't really want you to turn every conversation with family into a conversation around religion. My hope and my desire for all of us is that we'd spend enough time with Jesus that wherever we go and whatever we say, that we would do so with the eyes of Jesus to see those that others have looked past and to do so with such authority to bring heaven to earth. And remember, when Jesus taught us to pray, the very first thing we're supposed to ask is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the first request that we'd walk in that kind of authority to where people would be astonished, not because we were so convincing with our gospel presentation over the turkey and stuffing, but because we've been with Jesus. And the same spirit that was in him rests on us. So Jesus, today, our hope is in you. 
when we are tempted to think that uh, maybe something else could get us out of the, the trouble that maybe we are facing personally or as a society or humanity, whatever we, whatever we have that, that is a fear for the future, uh, we remind ourselves today that our hope is in the good news that Jesus, you are in control and that you've already done the heavy lifting. And so God, for everyone who feels, uh, even as we talked about last week, everyone who feels inadequate for the task, that you would remind us uh, that you are happy to use inadequate folks to bring good news. It's kind of like your specialty and that we would be willing participants in that and that, um, that our church and our family and this community far and wide uh, would be a community centered around the hope we have in Jesus and the good news that he still saves and he still finds outcasts and lepers. God, we love you because you first loved us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you go um, today, I, I do want to just uh, share a little bit uh, about the giving tree. Um, you know, we started this, uh, well, my mom's here. Mom ran our outreach department for many years. T this is our 10th year. I've been the giving tree. How many, how many kids did we help out the very first year? Do you remember? 150. So we started at 150. This year we have over 850 kids uh, that we are going to provide Christmas for. This is a major, major undertaking. I mean, this is a big deal. Um, just the logistics alone of, of processing all those gifts is something else. But here's what I want to ask. There's um, the giving trees out here. The tags are all digital uh, this year. It really helps smooth the process. Uh, so you can just go online or you can go talk to some folks. They have cards with the web address and can walk you through it if you need help. Um, but whatever you normally would do for giving tree, so if you've participated in the past, I want to challenge you, up it. Um, maybe you've done uh, uh, a gift for one child. Maybe go to two. Maybe you've done a whole family. Maybe two this year. Um, if you've never participated, this is a great year. There's even small gifts. You can do a single gift. Uh, but I want to encourage all of us, even watching online, um, if we all participate at a higher level, we're going to provide Christmas for 850 kids, which represents such a wide swath of our community. And it's going to be beautiful because it's beautiful every year. Um, but, man, it would be wonderful wonderful if we um, just filled up. Usually we come kind of right down to the end and there's a little bit of a gap. No gap this year. Can we do it? Can we do this together? Uh, it's not for me. It's for our kids in the community. And so I want to encourage you, go uh, grab a tag or the, the web address and, and go from there. Other than that, we love you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we hope to see you back next week. God bless.